Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Lyle Bright, mining personal archives and collective experiences. Her sculptural practice interrogates how materials shape perception, culture, and politics. Lyle's work explores specific themes of migration, inheritance, legacy, and identity through hybrid portraits, textiles, and mixed media that call on natural forms and ancestral memory. Lyle has exhibited worth both internationally and nationally. Solo and group exhibitions have been held at the Monique Maloche Gallery in Chicago, Sean Kelly Gallery in New York, Wellen Cora Gallery in Brooklyn, Mana Contemporary Chicago, and in Lagos and Berlin, to name a few. In 2023, Lyle's work will be included in a two-way mirror, Double Consciousness in Contemporary Glass by Black Artists at the Museum of Glass, Tacoma, Washington. She has been the recipient of several honors and awards, and her previous residencies include Tyler School of Glass in Philadelphia, Art Cake Residency in Brooklyn, Next Haven in Connecticut, the Glass Studios at Mass Mocha, to name a few. Lyle lives and works in New York City. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring Lyle Bright. Lyle, uh, thank you for joining me today on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Phyllis. I'm really excited to speak with you. Thank you for having me. When did you discover your artistic passion? I would say I discovered my passion for art in school. So when I was young, I lived in Lagos, Nigeria, and very briefly in Harare, Zimbabwe. So that's uh, two different African countries. And in both settings during school, art was my happy place. I did the best in art, actually. I always got like my best grades in art, but I would doodle during classes and draw a lot. Initially as a hobby and just like doodling, but after a while, it there was a real ease to having this time and reflectiveness and just letting go. And I felt a lot of freedom in expressing myself in that way, especially moving between a few countries, living in Harare for like two years, and then moving back to Nigeria for the rest of my education. And I felt that that power of expression stayed with me regardless everywhere I went. And it became a soccer and a way for me to tap into myself and feel connected to bigger questions I had started forming in my mind. And when did you decide to study art? So that's a very interesting question because I studied law in university. So I went to Babcock University 
And that is in Ogun State, Nigeria, which is about an hour out from Lagos, where I live with my family. And I was studying law and this wasn't what I really wanted to do. I had initially wanted to study arts, but having two African parents that believe in professional careers and professional courses, they were not in support of an art degree for my first degree. They said, yeah, you know, you can keep drawing like you've been doing at home. Just, yeah, that's your hobby. And I I hated that idea of art as hobby and then have a real career, which was this thing I kept hearing from my parents and family. So I went to Babcock for law and I finished law and I literally handed my parents the degree like here. And then I finished law school as well, because after four years of law, I had to do law school for a year in Lagos, Nigeria. And after that, I was like, okay, this was great. You know, thank you so much, but I need to go for my passion. And um, that's when I applied for an MFA at both Parsons School of Design in New York and the Royal College of Art in London. And I was very scared because I was coming from a place of, yeah, I'm a lawyer. Well, (laughs) when the question was like, what's your undergraduate degree and mindset law, I was just like, this is going to look so weird to them. But it had been a consistent passion of mine. I would draw on campus. I had an art club for the law students. Like I in my own little circle, I was really dogged about it and determined. So when I applied and I did the interview, I tried to move forward with that. Like, I'm going to show just who I am and how much I care about this, even though I don't need to know everything about it. I just know I want to go for this. So I did the interviews and got into both. And those are the only two schools I applied to. And um, from there on out, it's just being consistently working on my practice, learning, making, and just being grateful that I get to finally do what I love every day. Were there any particular artists that influenced you early on? Yes, definitely. So I grew up with a few art pieces in the house. My dad didn't know, but he is like a mini art collector, I would say. Like he would buy these like artworks like that we found out by uh, prolific Nigerian artists later on, like Bruce Onobrapaya, who is like a legend in the Nigerian art world. And I was the one that told him, (laughs) he's like, how did you know that? Because I'd started reading on my own, but I really came to a place of starting to recognize the different works of art, read, study on my own. And Bruce Onobrapaya was one big influence initially with the relief works and looking at Benenwongu, I really loved his like dancers and just the fluidity of his paintings. I didn't grow up going to galleries or museums. And at Lagos, in Lagos at the time, rather, there were art galleries coming up, like a few like SMO contemporary art house contemporary auctions were a big thing. So I would go there and it's an auction. But for me, it was like seeing works for the first time and I would soak it in. And I'll just like note the artists that I loved and one of whom was Kweju Alatishi. And I just was blown away, like an artist just really going for it, doing amazing work, sculptural work that I I didn't even know how to mold clay. I didn't even know how to draw, like nothing. And I could see these really intricate, elaborate detailed sculptures by this woman artist and I fell in love and I ended up being her studio assistant so 
after I finished law school, I was like, okay, how do I prepare if I really want to do art school or do an MFA? And I wanted to intern with an artist. And for me, she was like the pinnacle, like, oh my goodness, that would be a dream. But I knew someone at the time that was like, oh, really? Like, yeah, he was an ambassador um, to Nigeria. And he was like, oh yeah, you should totally just like meet. I can introduce you. <laughs> I, I thought it was a joke. I was like, no, this is like, seriously, like this is and he was like, yeah, no big deal. And I met her and the energy, everything was great. Like I'm a big energy person and I just felt it was right. I was so inspired just saying hello, her response, her mannerism. And then she was like, oh, you're so lucky because one of my studio assistants has to leave and is traveling for school. So definitely like come through. And I was there like every day, like any errands, anything. I was just so happy to be in her studio. That was like my first time really being in an artist studio, like immersed in it, like the process. You wake up early, you start at the studio, you prep your work for the day, the music, she was playing Fela Kuti. I was just like, this is the vibe. This is like everything. And she really inspired me and was very straightforward, very honest, and really gave me a sense of perspective into like, how can I do this? And what career do I want? And the idea for me that art is a career and is a lifelong journey was really cemented in that time with her as her studio assistant, because prior to that, the understanding was, oh, you can do this as a hobby. And that was the first person I met that showed me that an art career was possible. And I really went with that. Like I ran with it and I was like, yeah, there's no turning back. How did your art professors impact you? I feel really lucky to have had great art teachers. And, you know, you talk with some people and they also have stories like, you, you know, this teacher really impacted me and that's mine. I had Mr. Bewaji. Mr. Bewaji was my art teacher in secondary school in Nigeria. I went to Grange School and I was this like, how do, would I describe myself? I was this like loner kid, you know, always drawing, wearing her sweater and Art class was like where I lit up, like, and he noticed that he was like, I think you have something here. Like you're always really involved with your work. And he would like talk about different artists doing class, like different types of making art, different styles. Like people were always like on their phone or drawing or doing something else during class. But I was so captivated. And I mean, years after I left, I kept thinking about that, that that really became a foundation for the idea of expression and freedom and lack of fear because you could make whatever you wanted in the class. Like he'll give you the prompt and he's like, just make, don't be afraid. Don't feel like there's a right or wrong answer. You know, it doesn't have to be this like perfect rendition. And I really resonated with that idea. And in many ways, I feel like I work like that today. And then in Parsons, at oh, sorry, at Parsons, there was Andrea Geyer, who I still speak with. Andrea is an amazing artist herself, but just really made me feel like I was welcomed. I, I mean, I was coming from Lagos, Nigeria with a law degree and everybody else was like, oh, we've done BFAs. We're showing in galleries already. And I was like, this kid out of nowhere, like, what, what am I doing here? What am I even going to make? I remember sitting in the studio the first day and just being like, white walls, like, what is this space? Like, you know, not even knowing how to operate a studio, what to do with the studio. And Andrea made me feel so welcome and also started making me think of concepts, ideas, like how to build a practice, like 
where, you know, it's not holding your hand in an MFA program and then you don't know what to do after. So that was really a big deal for me. And then Lydia Matthews, who I'm still in touch with, also a professor at Parsons School of Design. She was the first person I ever interacted with, like from emails to like, hey, you know, you're moving here. Here's what you need to know. And till now we still talk. Like she's seen the evolution of my practice from like not knowing how to sculpt to being mostly a sculptor now. And she's just such a great friend and supporter of my practice. How would you define your practice? I would describe my practice as multifaceted, probing and deeply engaged with experiences and perspectives. So I like to work through issues linked to like personal and collective experiences, like based on what I've been through, community, like thinking through migration, women's legacies and agency, identity, systems of power and structures, but also thinking through the historical context as well, like understanding where all this has emanated from and me in the present and thinking through the present, how to then recontextualize or interpret those things. I would say I'm also deeply engaged with materials. I love, love materials. I love touching materials, making them, molding them. I have so many molds in my studio. I I have buckets of clay that I just like make stuff with and it doesn't even have to be a sculpture. It's like a practice. Like I need to move my hands and feel the material. I think there's so much history that is imbued in the materials I work with and in the materials that are in the everyday, like working with glass. And, you know, I have a glass of water next to me now, but then I, you know, kiln form glass and heat it up and melt it and make it into different things. So I like to think of this relationship that we have with materials that goes unnoticed and then, or not unnoticed in that way, but it's not that we're so conscious of it as much. And then taking that into an art context and looking into the history, how it's used, making portraits with that. I think that then navigates the material in a way that is unseeming to the everyday way we engage with it. And that's what I'm really invested in. And do you listen to music while you're working? I do. I am. <laughs> it's so bad. People knock on my studio door, like my studio mates, and they're like, we were knocking your door. I'm like, I'm listening to music constantly. I listen to a range of music from Afrobeats to rock to jazz. And I also listen to um, the music parts of um, what's it called? The app Calm, the meditative app. Um, it really gets me going and keeps my mind in this like repetitive motion. I like to replay tracks of songs because then I feel like it puts me in almost a trans-like state where I'm like, okay, just moving and working and I'm not even fully conscious of what I'm doing. I like to do that because if I overthink it, I make decisions that my hands don't agree with and I want to just do and make and then come back to it and look at it with fresh eyes. So it keeps my mind quiet <laughs> and just my hands moving. So I love to listen to music, whether I'm on speaker or like put my headphones in. How do you keep learning? I keep learning by engaging with community. That's like the first thing for me. I have friends that I, I call, we talk, we share ideas and thoughts. 
I am reading a lot. I have tons of books at home. If I'm not listening to music, I'm reading on the train, reading artist books, reading books that have nothing to do with art per se, even though, you know, everything is art, <laughs> but like books on like science, motivational books. I listen to podcasts. I feel like I'm a sponge. Like that's how I make, that's how I learn. And I tend to bookmark ideas in my head. So, and in my phone, my notes app, but different things just come to me and inspire me. And then they may seemingly not have to do with art, but then it really helps me form my material understanding. Like I read this book on how we think about trees and like how they have their own language and like this very interesting way of revealing the secret life of trees and like the root systems. And that made me think of connectivity and like relationships. So I'm really keen to keep moving like my mind and keep like discovering new things that I may not know or may not have thought of in a different way. Do you feel Black art can be defined? I don't. I mean, I'm of two minds. I think literally like definition in a dictionary, yes. (laughs) But in terms of what the power it has and the impact I don't think so. I think it's so wide reaching, so all encompassing that to then limit that or or put a definition cap on that doesn't, for me, do it justice. I think I'm a Nigerian artist, for example. I was born in Lagos and I'm living in Brooklyn, New York now. And what that means as Black art is so like multifaceted it's so rich there's so much going on and not just for me that's how I perceive it I I always look at black art in the sense that like there are different ways of engaging there are different insights there's different perspectives and that I I am unable in myself to define you know when do you know when a work is finished oh my goodness how do we know when a work is finished So when I make a work, I will leave it up in the studio, like hang it on a wall for months. So from when I make a work to when it's seen or perceived, there might be like months in between or maybe a year even because I'm a restless soul. (laughs) I'm ever making, ever twitching um, or tweaking rather little things in the work because I think some artists might identify with this, but there's always something that can be done. Like I was just looking at a piece yesterday that it's been on the floor for like months. I've been staring at it, tweaking it. And I was like, okay, it's done. And then I was like, wait, I can sandblast this. I can cold work this, which is like a finishing, a way of like decorating and finishing a glass work just to add effects. And I was like, why are you going there? You know, it's done. You know, it's on the wall. So Sometimes it comes to a point where until the work ships or is picked up, I'm not done with it. (laughs) So I try not to take pictures because of that, because I'm like, if I change anything, I can't go back or I can't be like, oh, sorry, that's an old pick. This is a new final, final, final work. So usually when it gets picked up, it's done. Or when I like put it in a box, like I have so many boxes of work in my studio because I'm done with them and I put them away to like, okay, I was happy with it. Don't touch it. Otherwise I will. During the creative process, when do you decide on the title? The title, it it varies. I have a note on my phone in my app where I just put running titles. Like, cause sometimes thoughts come to me when I'm on the train 
and I'm thinking about work already, like in my mind, I'm already thinking of what to do with the piece. And I'm like, ah, that would be a great title. So I put in the note. Also, sometimes I'm just working on a piece and in person and I feel an idea and I feel a concept and I look it up and then I find a keyword that resonates with me. And sometimes like now I'm working towards a solo show next year and I already have titles for the works because of the concepts I'm trying to relay like I'm thinking through like structures and like women in in different systems and structures and how we uphold these systems and and then ideas and topics come to me and I'm like I'm going to make a work about that. So <laughs> I'm not trying to like after the work come back and then force the title on it. I feel like those are works that I've not been able to fully resolve, so I always like either have the title beforehand or while making. And when you're working, do you think about your audience? I would say that I don't really. I mean, I'm making the work first and foremost in present time, like in real time for myself. Like when I'm creating, I'm fully immersed in the moment and I'm thinking about the materials in my hands in front of me, my subject matter, inspiration for the work and whatever feelings I have in that moment. I don't think I'll ever be and I, I know I'll never be 100% in control of who my audience is. Perhaps that's why I'm not thinking of my audience, because I know who inspires the work and who ideally, you know, the work would be around. But I know that I'm not in control of that. Like, even when I'm long gone, like people will see the work and I'm not going to like have anything to do with that. So I don't think of my audience in that way. Like different people will come to the work eventually and perceive it and I don't know how they will read it, honestly. I don't know if their personal experiences might be related or different or if they will understand the material or if they won't. But I do trust my audience. I wouldn't say I'm creating for them, but I trust my audience in the sense that I feel like they'll come to it with an open sensibility and have a curiosity that makes them engage with the work in the first place. What are you excited about right now? I am excited about Art Basel Hong Kong. So I have a solo booth with Monique Malosh Gallery, which is based in Chicago, but they're presenting a solo booth of my works. And I'm super excited because a lot of the materials I work with were made in China. And I'm thinking through concepts of migration and identity and femininity in my works. And they're showing a good selection of a wide breadth of works that I've done. I have different bodies of work and they're showing a few of them, which include sculptures with gaily head wrap materials in them um, and their busts of my mother. And they have these paintings and panels on the wall, which are linked to migrant experiences and also these glass masks that I make. So I'm really excited to see how it's received. And I think the booth looks great. I'm also working towards my first institutional solo show next year. So I'm really thrilled. I wouldn't say I wasn't expecting it, but I feel like I am excited to participate and like make work in that way, like towards a solo show in a context where, you know, different people will come and see it. And also about the works that I've been wanting to create for a long, long time. Like, it's almost like waiting to exhale. Like <laughs> I can't wait for people to see it, to experience it. And I'm really excited to be working with the team 
And I'm excited about going home. I'm going to Lagos, Nigeria this week. It has been three years. I haven't been home since pre-COVID, which has been rough. And I've never acknowledged that it's been rough, but I think the closer it's gotten to home and me going home, I'm like, wow, it's been three years. Like my mom hit me up yesterday and she's like, it's been three years. I'm like, I can't even believe this. So I'm going to get to go home and just soak everything in. And, you know, it's homecoming is always nice. And I think I'm very attached to a lot of family members and like subject matters in my work have to do with home and family and my mom is a major muse in my work so it'll be really lovely to go and spend some time with them following up with that comment about your mom being a muse in your work are there memories childhood memories that are reflected in your work yes definitely i think of childhood memories like the head wrap and the gillies I use in my work. So I get a lot of the actual material from my mother. Um, So I treat them as archival material because growing up and she's getting ready for like a church event or just Sunday church, like we wear it like a Sunday hat, I guess. And like weddings, she would be tying her gillie in the mirror, which is what we call it. We call it gillie. And it's this really stiff, like rayon, fabric we have it in different types but it's a stiff fabric and she would like literally design her head like put this head wrap back and forth and twist it and turn it and I remember like staring at her and just being absolutely fascinated um but of course it it became this symbol of like a crowning glory or a sense of like adornment and beautification which I became very interested in because it's a very big statement and it's worn everywhere. Like you see people in the market wearing a head wrap or a gele, or you see them at weddings or you see them in church. And I think a lot of my material understanding even started in the home, but because I was so close to it and it was in the everyday, I didn't think of it as, oh, art, you know, (laughs) it was just like, oh, my mom is just getting ready for church. So some of those memories stay with me or how we had like the Ghana Moscow bag, these checkered bags that I now use in my work. We had them everywhere and we had so many at home. We had some in the market. Like it was it was everywhere. You'd see those bags everywhere. And I had built such a familiarity with the materials that I now use them in my work. And for me, it's telling my story. It's tapping into memory, like you said. And it's also telling the story of like beauty and culture and also of movement. And that means so much to be able to use the actual materials that I have experiences with and that I've seen in so many different ways and lived with, and then to bring that into my practice. Enjoyed this interview very much. And this is, this is our last question. Thank you. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? I feel that the purpose of art is to inspire, to heal us, to make us question what we think we know, to unravel us and to fuel us. I think there's so much that art does in in the sense of tapping into our consciousness, touching us. Like I think there are pieces of art that I've seen and it really touched me. It's like made me pause, made me really reflect. And I think that art is a powerful tool in that way. Like it can really help people consider a new perspective and understand others. There's so much empathy that art 
makes us have as human beings where, you know, we can learn and and be more conscious of, of what's going on around us. And as an artist, I think my role and the role of artists is to be true to themselves and their expression. I think everybody has something to say and we should not be afraid to say it. So to be fearless in our ways of making and in what we do and to share insight and perspective, I think the richness of the art we have today of contemporary art is we all have different experiences we come from. We have different perspectives and we can share that from our unique insight, you know, and show people and be like, yo, this is what I'm thinking or this is where I'm coming from or, you know, this is what I have to say in whatever medium. And I think that is such a way of opening avenues for deeper understanding, which we desperately need now, deeper understanding. Thank you so much. I've I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this and I appreciate the questions and this opportunity to speak with you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.